Hello and welcome to Relinquish Podcast. My name is Travis. I'm Christina. Hey, we are a husband and wife team who have a desire to approach controversial ideas or controversial topics with critical thinking and respect. And if this is your first time joining us, congratulations. It's actually everyone's first time. This is our first episode. Woohoo! Woo! Episode one, season one. Number one. Number one. Engage. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. Why why should you be joining us? Like, I know your time is valuable. Ours is. So why even bother listening to another podcast? There's so many out there that are so good. The reason why you should listen to us is because I've noticed and I've heard a term coming around called cancel culture. I don't even really know what that means, but I want to cancel cancel culture. Do you want to cancel cancel culture? Why not? Why not? Um, I think we can bring people together through disagreement. Sounds radical, but it's true. What do you think? I think it's wonderful. You think it's wonderful? I do. Well, I I think it's great. (laughs) Okay, so now that you're here, I want you to know that what we're going to do is we're going to take, in each episode, we're going to bring you a very divisive, controversial topic, and we are going to present what we see as the main core beliefs and values of each of those sides, some of the arguments that they present and bring. And we're going to do so with critical thinking and respect. We're going to present those topics with some respect with our hopes that you will hear maybe your opposing viewpoint in a different light. And it would give some sort of validity or veracity to that point of view, even if you don't agree. There's a lot of these topics, well, every one of these topics we're going to talk about, you're going to have a view and opinion on, but I think it's important to know what your opposition view is, why they believe that view, because it's probably going to look a little different than what you think. So that's kind of our goal. After we present those things, we're going to have a talk about it. So with that said, I would like to use this time now to have a word from our sponsors. So let me see who that is. Okay, we don't have any sponsors. Yet. (laughs) Yet. I don't think any company or person wanted to touch this particular episode with a 10-foot pole. Why is it a 10-foot pole? I don't know. But if you would like to sponsor this uh, podcast at any point in the future please reach out to us at relinquishpodcast at gmail.com and we can have a conversation. So in lieu of having a sponsor, what I would like to do is highlight um, a company that we both believe in. And that company that we're going to highlight this week is Asset Home and Commercial Services. You can find them at myassetteam.com and I'll also put their website on the, in the show notes as well. Now, Asset Home and Commercial Services, they do residential remodels. They even will build your custom home from the ground up. They also do commercial renovations, repairs, and maintenance, and they even do pest control. Now, why do I believe in this company so much? Is it just because I hired them for a job? No. I actually worked for this company for a few months And I can tell you with firsthand experience, the amount of integrity, honesty, and devotion to their work that the men 
behind asset home and commercial services put into their work. They are honest, dependable. You can trust them. They don't cut corners. They, they do, they put integrity in everything that they do. And I was just blown away when I got to work with these, these men, um, for asset home and commercial services. Asset home and commercial services is owned by, uh, Mr. Mark Dupler. And he is somebody that you can trust. He is dependable. He is honest. So if you're looking for any kind of home repair, remodel, renovation, or you're even looking to build your own custom home, maybe you have a business that is in need of repair, I highly recommend that you reach out to Asset Home and Commercial Services. Okay, let's get started. Today's show is about abortion. Now, when we talk about abortion, we're going to use the common vernacular around abortion to describe each opposing viewpoint, and that is pro-life and pro-choice. Now, when we say the terms pro-life and pro-choice, we are not indicating that either side is anti-life or anti-choice. So just to put that out there as we get into this show so that there's no confusion about what we mean. So abortion is a very, very divisive and passionate topic. And why so? Why is it so divisive and so controversial? It's not a new thing. Abortion has been around for thousands of years. Is it just about a woman's rights? Is it just a human's rights? Is it all of the above? Well, what we would like to do is Christina and I would like to unravel the issue of abortion today on this show to see why there is such a divide on this topic. I found a quote which I think eloquently sums up the foundational beliefs of each opposing viewpoint on this issue. Author Greg Kokel writes, If the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is necessary. However, if the unborn is a human person, no justification for abortion is adequate. That brings up a lot of questions, probably for you, and it has for people for a long time. At the core of the issue, is an unborn child human? If so, when does it become a human? And then there's more philosophical questions like, does it have personhood? Does an unborn child deserve equal rights and protection by the 14th Amendment to the Constitution? We've all heard the phrase that we have the freedom to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So does the life of an unborn child have these rights? And if so, do they supersede the mother's rights? When the same rights for two different people are being violated, who should take precedence? These are real questions with no simple answers because people have different fundamental beliefs and values that dictate how they answer these type of questions. They have a different lens they're looking through. And while there's a little bit more consensus as far as the scientific standpoint is concerned, from a philosophical standpoint, there's always going to be opposing views. That's just the nature of philosophy. Right. So, so far, we see that there are philosophical, scientific questions that are at the core of this issue in regards to personhood and such. But that's not it. There is another element that is often presented in this, and that is the legality region, the legality portion of it. Um, and when we look at that, we can 
really start with the most famous court case on the matter, which is Roe versus Wade. So why is Roe versus Wade so important? Well, in 1973, the Supreme Court issued a ruling on what states could and couldn't do in regards to abortion. So I'm going to sum it up for you in case you're not that familiar with what the outcome of Roe v. Wade was. To sum it up, Roe v. Wade prohibits states from preventing women from getting an abortion in the first trimester. It also allows states to regulate abortions in the second trimester, but not outlaw them. And in the third trimester, states can regulate or outlaw, except in the case in cases where the health of the mother is at risk. So because of that, this gives states the right to allow abortion up to the time of birth, since the right to medical treatment for the mother is there. So we're about to present the two sides of this topic, and I would encourage you as we move through this to consider these aren't necessarily our views, they're just the, the main views of each side. It's going to be very information-based facts and, and a little bit dry compared to the discussion um, that we'll get into afterwards. So I encourage you to stick with us until the discussion. Just notice what comes up for you, notice what questions it brings up. We'll have a lot of resources and things that you can look into further on the show notes on our website, which is relinquishpodcast.com. That's right. And um, yeah, so hang in there. Hang in there. You can do it. We're with you. I'm with you. So let's get started. I'm going to present the pro-choice side. So on the pro-choice side, I see um, three main kind of fundamental beliefs where all things related to abortion on this uh, side come from. Those beliefs are that one, abortion is okay to stop an unwanted pregnancy for various reasons. Two, access to legal abortion is necessary to protect the lives of women who would get them illegally or perform them upon themselves as abortions performed incorrectly can be fatal. And three, as a result of the first two, women should be allowed the freedom to get abortions because not allowing them to do so violates the right to privacy, the reproductive choice, the right to life, and access to health care. So because these are the three fundamental beliefs I see, I want to kind of highlight some values that I see that are at the root of those beliefs. The values I see are uh, they value life, they value body autonomy, they value women's rights, and they value a particular quality, quality of life. So I want to delve into those three fundamental beliefs just a little bit. I'm going to start with the first one, that abortion's okay to stop an unwanted pregnancy. And so I want to kind of list out some of those reasons that I saw. Now, there, there may be more. I may have missed some. But I'm hoping to kind of get the, the main ones. So number one would be for rape or incest. So when a pregnancy results in the act of, a, of rape or maybe incest, the belief is that women can terminate that pregnancy because rape is an extremely traumatic event. And carrying the child of rape to term can continually traumatize the woman. And 
on the incest side, incest can cause severe birth defects and health issues to the mother or to the, or to the baby. Another reason to stop an unwanted pregnancy is there are times when either families or individuals have already have too many children and having an additional children would cause too much stress or burden financially, emotionally, mentally, and just wouldn't be good for the family. And other times there's, it's just not the right time to have a child. Perhaps a, a woman is pursuing a career and having a child would greatly impede the kind of trajectory of that career. Or perhaps it's a teenager who is pregnant and delivering or carrying that child to term would have all sorts of impacts and implications. Studies have shown that teenage mothers are more at risk of dropping out of school and developing mental and emotional problems such as depression and drug and alcohol abuse. Another reason for stopping an unwanted pregnancy is that the child that would be born would have some kind of diminished quality of life. So with medical advancements today, we can identify certain debilitating or life-altering conditions or disabilities, um, such as spina bifida, Down syndrome, deformities, cerebral palsy, heart defects, neural tube defects, muscular dystrophy, and more. So for the pro-choice side, there's a moral argument for ending the life of a child that would be born into a life of suffering. And then the last thing that I saw for stopping an unwanted pregnancy is because of pressure from culture, society, pressure from parents, or even the father of the child. Okay, so the second core belief is protecting the lives of women. Now, prior to Roe v. Wade, there were numerous accounts of women who attempted an abortion on themselves using Lysol or other such methods or chemicals, and that often ended up in severe problems, sometimes death. And if they didn't attempt it on their own, they would seek out a illegal provider of abortion, which also had, it, had, had its risk. And so for the pro-choice side, they say that women will seek out an abortion, whether it's illegal or not. And so because history shows this, um, it's important for abortion to be legal to protect the lives of women. And lastly, the third reason is protecting women's rights. So again, as we said earlier, you know, for the pro-choice argument, they believe women should be allowed the freedom to get abortions because prohibiting them from doing so violates the right to privacy, the right to life, and access to healthcare. They should be able to choose when to get pregnant or whether or not to carry that child to term because in their view, that is their right to productive choice. And they have a valid argument about not wanting the government to control when they can and cannot have children. Because when a government gets involved in whether or not a family can have children, that becomes a slippery slope. And the pro-choice side will often use uh, the argument of eugenics 
to illustrate that point. Because in the early 20th century, the U.S. government sterilized women against their will because they they saw them as unfit for motherhood. And we don't want to go back to a time like that. Okay, so those are those three main beliefs and a little bit of information in them. I found a couple of, a few arguments on a website called thoughtco.com that um, are some arguments from the pro-choice side. And I wanted to read a few of those to you. They'll be available in the show notes again. So number one, nearly all abortions take place in the first trimester when a fetus is attached by the placenta, an umbilical cord to the mother. As such, its health is dependent on her health and cannot be regarded as a separate entity, as it cannot exist outside her womb. Number two, the concept of personhood is different from the concept of human life. Human life occurs at conception, but fertilized eggs used in vitro fertilization are also human lives, and those not implanted are routinely thrown away. Is this murder? And if not, then how is abortion murder? Number three, adoption is not an alternative to abortion because it remains the woman's choice whether or not to give up her child for adoption. Statistics show that very few women who give birth choose to give up their babies. Number four, abortion is a safe medical procedure. The vast majority of women who have an abortion do so in their first trimester. Medical abortions have a very low risk of serious complications and do not affect a woman's health or future ability to become pregnant or give birth. Number five, abortion is not used as a form of contraception. Pregnancy can occur even with contraceptive use. Few women who have abortions do not use any form of birth control, and that is due more to individual carelessness than to the availability of abortion. Number six, taxpayer dollars are used to enable poor women to access the same medical services as rich women, and abortion is one of these services. Funding abortion is no different from funding a war in the Mideast. For those who are opposed, the place to express outrage is in the voting booth. Number seven. Like any other difficult situation, abortion creates stress. Yet the American Psychological Association found that stress was greatest prior to an abortion and that there was no evidence of post-abortion syndrome. Okay. So I'm going to wrap up this section with just a couple of interesting facts, and then Christina will move on to the pro-life side. So fact number one, since 1990, the abortion rate has decreased by 46%. Fact number two, states are not required to submit abortion data to the CDC. However, most states do require hospitals, facilities, and physicians providing abortions to submit regular confidential reports to the state. And number three, lastly, fact about the founder of Planned Parenthood, her name is Margaret Sanger. A couple of facts about her. She paved the way for women's civil and legal rights, and she believed that universal access, access to universal birth control would strengthen the nuclear family. It would reduce the need for abortion, save lives, and help families get out of poverty. She was a pioneer for women's rights, rights that both pro-life and pro-choice women have today. So I want you all to take a breath with me. That was, may have been difficult for you to get through, or it may have been great 
I don't know, whatever your position is. So go ahead and take a deep breath. That felt good, didn't it? Okay. Now Christina's going to go for the, which side are you doing? Pro-lifers. There you go. So the pro-life argument is rooted in three core beliefs. Number one, the unborn child is a human being with the right to life from the moment of conception. Number two, there is no moral justification for ending the life of a child in the womb, just as there is no moral justification for ending the life of a child outside of the womb. Number three, pregnancy is an inevitable outcome to sexual intercourse, since even contraceptive methods are never 100% preventive. Therefore, the choice to have sex has the inherent risk of pregnancy. Ending the life of a child should not be a means to avoid that responsibility or the consequence of an action that was taken willfully. So undergirding these main beliefs are the values um, that we see in the pro-life side. They value life. They value protecting and caring for the vulnerable. They value the family unit. And they value equal human rights. So the questions we hinted at earlier about what is an unborn child exactly and when does it become what it is? Is it a human life with personhood that deserves the same rights as those who have been born? The pro-life stance, the belief of the pro-life side is yes, absolutely. It's considered a person at the time of conception. And as medical science continues to unravel more of the mysteries of fetal development and embryology, the view and the standpoint on when is a fetus viable outside of the womb has shifted, especially since the time of Roe v. Wade. Also, another thing that has shifted with this study of embryology is the timeline of when a fetus can feel pain. So we know now that a fetus can experience pain from as young as eight weeks after conception. And just for a frame of reference, most women discover they're pregnant somewhere between four and seven weeks after conception. We also know now that unborn children can survive outside of the womb before the third trimester. So the second belief was about um, there not being any moral justification for ending the life of a child. So if, if as they assert on the pro-life side that the unborn child is a person with rights, then ending the life of that child should never be celebrated, should never be permitted, should never be... Um, it's just a solemn reality, this ending the life of a child. It, it shouldn't be a part of the equation at all. And it definitely shouldn't be used as a means of birth control, um, which is the, you know, undergirding that belief about pregnancy just being a logical result of sexual intercourse. One thing that um, those on the pro-life side would be proponents of, and actually we on this show are proponents of for many of the issues that we will discuss is that of making an informed decision. So women and men should have access to all of the information regarding an abortion, the grim details of the procedure, the facts about what happens to the fetus during the procedure, you know, the facts about what's going to happen afterward. That way they're actually making a real choice and an informed decision. So some of the arguments that were presented on thoughtco.com that Travis had mentioned, and again, these will be a link to these will be in the show notes. Um, some additional arguments, I should say, 
One, no civilized society permits one human to intentionally harm or take the life of another human without punishment, and abortion is no different. Two, adoption is a viable alternative to abortion and accomplishes the same result. With one and a half million American families wanting to adopt a child, there's no such thing as an unwanted child. Three, an abortion can result in medical complications later in life. The risk of ectopic pregnancies is increased if other factors such as smoking are present. The chance of a miscarriage increases in some cases, and pelvic inflammatory disease also increases. Four, in the instance of rape and incest, taking certain drugs soon after the event can ensure that a woman will not get pregnant. Abortion punishes the unborn child who committed no crime. Instead, it's the perpetrator who should be punished. Five, for women who demand complete control of their body, control should include preventing the risk of unwanted pregnancy through the responsible use of contraceptives or, if that's not possible, through abstinence. Six, Many Americans who pay taxes are opposed to abortion, therefore it's morally wrong to use tax dollars to fund abortion. 7. Those who choose abortions are often minors or young women with insufficient life experience to understand fully what they are doing. Many have lifelong regrets afterward. 8. Abortion sometimes causes psychological pain and stress. Some interesting facts that Travis came across when doing research that have to do with the pro-life side. In 2017, there were 862,320 abortions, according to the Guttmacher Institute. About 1.3% of those are estimated to be abortions beyond 20 weeks. That's 11,210. As a comparison, according to the FBI, in the same year, 2017, there were 15,129 firearm-related homicides. As another interesting point, pain receptors are present in an unborn child as early as eight weeks and are all throughout the body no later than 20 weeks after fertilization. It's interesting that in fetal surgery, they use anesthesia for this reason. Another fact, about 61 million abortions have occurred since Roe v. Wade. And lastly, Margaret Sanger's name is being removed from Planned Parenthood's Manhattan Health Center due to her ties to eugenics and racist remarks. And that wraps things up for the pro-life side. Wow. You did a good job. Thanks. Well done. Okay, so that was a lot of information, a lot of beliefs and values from both sides. Um, is there anything that you can identify with that or anything that stood out or that uh, stands out to you? For me, I would say on the pro-choice side, something that I relate to very much is the idea that you don't want the government all up in your business telling you what you can and can't do like with your body or with your I don't know, with matters that you might consider to be private or none of their business. Sure. Um, so I definitely relate to that, even though I feel differently than I think the, the pro-choice side feels about it. Yeah, um, I can really get behind that too. Yeah. Hey, can I speak into that? Absolutely. Bit? All right, cool. So I can relate and agree with the, um, the value of not having the government all up in my business. 
especially when it comes to my body and, you know, medical interventions. Like, I don't want the government forcing me to get some kind of medical treatment just because it serves some greater good that they're saying is the greater good. I don't think the government should be in charge of what the greater good is. And, you know, history has shown us that what that can ultimately lead to when the government is in charge of that. All medical treatments and interventions have risk. There's some kind of risk involved. So I, I respect the value to be able to choose what is best for me and my family. Without the right to choice, there's no informed consent. So I get the pro-choice value there, even though I, I disagree with their ultimate conclusions on what they are deciding to do with that choice. And I don't necessarily agree that it's only the woman's body in the discussion. I also really, really relate to the idea that a lot of younger people have today about, you know, when you have a child, that's going to radically change the course of your life mm -hmm. and not necessarily in positive ways. So sure. the fact that, you know, on the pro-choice side, one of the arguments was that you might not, you know, in the family planning sense, it might not be the right time for a child or you, you might be have priorities that are higher than that. Um, while I don't necessarily agree um, with the thoughts farther down the line, the thought that, oh no, my life is going to radically change and a lot of it might be negative. I totally relate to that. Absolutely. I mean, having a child is a radically life-altering event. The fact that, you know, you will be responsible for another human being for many, 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 many years that can be a very scary situation to face, especially if maybe you don't have a large support system or a support system at all that can help you through that. Especially if you're by yourself, if you're going to be a single mother, there's so many different scenarios that can cause a person to say, I don't want to do this. This is too much or... You know, this is just not a good time for me right now. Yeah, that kind of leads me to something that I am still trying to understand, um, just even after hearing this, is the concept of natural consequences for me is, especially I am a parent and I teach that concept to my children all the time. And of course, I've seen it play out in my life over the last 40 years. But to me... The, the idea that a pregnancy is unexpected and even unwanted to a degree, you know, if you're engaging in sexual intercourse, pregnancy is a natural outcome. And of course, there's, you know, there's birth control and there's other things, but of course, those things aren't 100% effective. And I don't know, I, even for people who are pro-life who have kind of gotten into that place of they end up pregnant and it's kind of like this unexpected, I don't know, to me, that just seems a little bit silly because there's a cause and there's an effect. Sure. And I think of this analogy of, you know, someone going to a swimming pool with no intention of swimming and they want to, um, you know, just sunbathe or whatever. And then they end up getting wet and they're really upset about it. Like, 
okay, well, you went to the swimming pool. What happens at the swimming pool? You get wet. So even though that wasn't your intention, and and I don't know, to me, it seems very similar. Like you're having sex and what happens when you have sex, you know, is that pregnancy can result. Yeah. So to me, it's, I don't know, it's just a a little bit, a piece of it that I don't quite understand yet. I'm with you on that, like a hundred percent, because I wonder if the culture that has come up behind the pro-choice side has influenced a thinking of this really isn't that big of a deal and it's an easy fix to a really big responsibility. So I'm wondering if because maybe over the last 50 years of uh, more accessibility to abortion and it becoming more of a standardized norm for, you know, stopping an unknown pregnancy for any reason, if that has sort of dehumanized the actual procedure and process of what's happening. So it makes it a lot easier to say, well, I'm just going to get this taken care of because I'm not actually seeing this as a human person that, you know, whether or not I believe they have rights or not, but it's still a life that you are ending. So I wonder if just over the last 50 years, there just has been a culture shift in thought about what it actually means to have an abortion. Well, I think there's a desire there to, like, yes, there is this cause and this effect as a natural consequence, but they don't want it to be that way. They want to have control over that effect. And the consequence. Right. Yeah. And so, and I relate to that. I relate to there are situations in life where there's a cause and a a natural consequence that I want to be different. Sure. And you're like, whoa, if I can change that, if I don't have to deal with that consequence, let me change that. Yeah. I think a little bit that's human nature. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can get it now. I I mean, I don't agree with it, (laughs) but I I get it. That is our, our human nature, like you said, to, to try to change that. Yeah. And, and. I was going to say one other thing about that, and now I forgot. Well, I could fill something in here. Yeah, go ahead. So I just, another thing that kind of came up for me, just hearing the two sides, especially the pro-choice side, because I am I am pro-life, and, you know, so that one's a little less um, inherent in just the way I see the world. But my own story, just thinking about my own life, you know, my mom was a teenager when she got pregnant with mm-hmm. me. And I would say, you know, I had a pretty tough childhood. Um, You know, she was young and uneducated and there were some hardships that came along with that. And even my younger brother, my younger brother was born special needs, disabled, you know, permanently, unable to walk or talk. And I would say even with the hardships that I've seen in my life, even with the things that I've seen my brother face and have to overcome and just my experience in general, I, I just still think there's such a high value on having the opportunity. Like I'm very thankful that I've had the opportunity to have a life and that my mom, you know, made that decision for myself and for my brother. My brother's Mm -hmm. brought so much joy and meaning into not just my life, but many lives. And I, I can't imagine a different scenario. Yeah. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. 
There are views on the pro-choice side that suggest a child born with a disability should not be born, that it's not humane to allow that child to, to live because the quality of life for that child is going to be one of suffering or produce suffering and burdens on others. Like, uh, what's his name, philosopher and bioethicist uh, Peter Singer made that moral argument using some extreme utilitarian reasoning. Now, I disagree with that reasoning wholeheartedly. I can understand kind of if you're using a utilitarian type view on that, where you can deduce that reasoning, but I, I don't agree with that at all. First, I think, you know, I've spoken with people with disabilities who, despite their limitations, would not consider their life to be that of suffering, to at least to the, such the degree that it's not worth living. Also, I think a person can live a life of suffering and be 100% healthy or, and even wealthy. You know, a, a disability isn't the only factor in measuring a quality of life. Second, I believe caring and having compassion for others is inherent in our human nature. And I think the burden of care can provide values to all parties involved. I don't think everyone would experience it that way. No, everybody wouldn't experience it that way. But neither is it everyone's experience for life to be burdensome and full of suffering. I think something else that has colored my view is just my experience with women who have had abortions, um, which is not extensive, admittedly, but just over the course of my life, the women that I've met who have had abortions, they fall on both sides, pro-life and pro-choice. Mm -hmm. And they've all been highly um, upset about their decision. And it's not something they celebrate. It's not something that they're, you know, I, I've never met a woman that was so thankful she had the right to have an abortion and that she was able to get it done. And I'm not saying those women don't exist, but just in my own personal experience, the, the, the hurt that has come into these women's lives has been deep and, you know, that's something that's influenced me. And also most of the women that I know that have, well, I would say all of the women that I know that have had an abortion were quite young when they got it. And to me, that highlights a need for older women and just people in general to kind of be, be there, be a support for these young women. What if my mom had had someone that was supporting her and, you mm -hmm. know, providing, you know, some guidance and some whatever, like whatever it was that she needs. And I feel like a lot of times, um, at least in my experience with the people that I've known, if they had had someone that was there as a support and guidance and things of that nature, maybe things would have turned out different. I think a lot of times they're making that decision out of fear. You bring up some really good points. I think the rhetoric around legalizing abortion prior to Roe v. Wade seemed to be really centered on women needing access to safe and legal abortion procedures, but that it wouldn't be something occurring to the degree that we, we see today. And I think the, the view has gone from that of being kind of a, an available measure, but only for rare occasions, to that of being celebrated, kind of like you said. I mean, I wonder if the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, would approve of what has become of her legacy. 
Now, there is no solution where both sides of these issues of this issue is going to be uh, perfectly happy. But I think part of the solution that maybe both sides could maybe agree on is that we should be pouring our time and energy into proper education in this in this topic. I think we need families to be the teachers of sex education and reproduction. And I realize not all families are equipped to do this, but we shouldn't rely on outside agencies like the public school system, television, or movies to be the teachers. And perhaps as a community, we can step in where needed, where you know we can shepherd the young generation that doesn't have a father or doesn't have a mother, and we can shepherd them and kind of fill that role as well alongside the the family. Also, I think men just need to step up and lead other young men into accountability and respect. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm wondering, just with hearing you talk about that, if policies are consistent as far as the law is concerned, like I'm just thinking of how when someone is pregnant, just by the very nature of using that terminology, they're with child, which means they have a life inside of them. And I realize not everyone feels that way, but I just think about like manslaughter charges. If you, if a woman is pregnant and you assault her and the baby dies, aren't you charged with manslaughter? Depends on the state. Every state has different laws regarding that. I'm just wondering if the laws in that state, let's just say, are consistent about abortion and what's considered a I see, life I see what you're and manslaughter and what's right. considered a life. Like if you just found out you're pregnant and you're only four or five weeks pregnant, is that considered manslaughter? And if it is, then how is abortion not considered murder mm. or ending a life, let's just say? Well, it could be. However, because of the Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade, even if the state believes that it's a life, they're not able to prohibit within the first trimester. That's really interesting. I also, um, the the topic came up in the pro-choice side about the um, fertilized eggs that are used for in vitro mm. and things like that. And, and from what I know, on the pro-life side, those are considered human lives and they are, a lot of people are working to protect those lives as well. So it's, um, it's a very interesting, I don't know, topic that extends just beyond, I think, the, sur- the surface level of, you know, the women's rights issue and the things like that. Right. That's, I mean, that, that was an interesting argument from the pro-choice side as well. And I think an interesting fact to kind of piggyback on that is that a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, there are some vaccinations that are made from aborted fetal tissue, like that has an ingredient of aborted fetal tissue in there. And um, like, I'm I'm not anti-vax or anything. I'm just saying, do we consider that at all as people who are pro-life, you know? 
does that make a difference? Kind of like with this in vitro thing. Does that make mm. a difference in how we, do we choose that method of inoculation? Or do we choose a different one that maybe doesn't use that? Or do, you know, if we have that information available to make a better choice. Mm-hmm. So um, the issues kind of extend out beyond just the immediate issue of, is it okay to sure. have an abortion or not have an abortion? Right. And again, to kind of, real quick circle around back to the, you know, these two sides are never going to agree because of the worldviews and the foundational beliefs that they have. They're never going to agree. And while abortion is still legal, you know, there is some middle ground that we can make, you know, while abortion is still legal. And even if it, even if the pro-life movement was able to get it to be illegal, for one, it's still going to happen worldwide. It's still going to happen in China and other places, but it's still going to happen here too. Sure. People are still going to do it. So, you know, I, I think we really need to get to the root of the problem. Why are we wanting to stop these unwanted pregnancies? Right. Why are we wanting to stop them? And both sides have done a lot of damage in that, you know? Yes. On the pro-life side, there's been a lot of um, judgment towards teen pregnancies, and a lot of judgment on all kinds of fronts, and on the pro-choice side, too. A lot of judgment on both sides. So we've, everyone's done a lot of damage. So maybe we can stop damaging the situation and instead start to come together with a solution. But we can't come up with a solution until we have dialogues like this, until we kind of look at each other's side with that clearer lens to say, okay, we both want similar things. Maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle and have a little bit more respect for each other. Yeah, I think it's kind of there's a little bit of freedom that comes with that, being able to love someone and see the person behind the belief and be able to connect with them, even when you don't agree. Mm. Um, I think that's definitely something that this has helped me with. Yeah, and that's why we started this podcast. We, because of our beliefs, we see everybody as created in the image of God and are worthy to start there with that foundation of love and respect. We don't have to agree with you on your beliefs to love you. Um, And we're not going to judge you either. So, is there anything else that we need to discuss on this? I mean, this is a huge huge topic. And I I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours on it. So is there anything else you want to add? I think I'm good for now. You good? I think I'm good too. And I want to encourage you out there listening, pick up where we left off and continue this conversation with people that you know who are different and people you disagree with. Our goal for this show is to provide information for you, the listener, to be able to see your opposition in a different light, for you to be able to understand why people believe what they believe when it's different from your belief. And that difference doesn't have to mean uh, hate. Difference just means we're different. It's neither right nor wrong. It's just different. So we hope after listening to this show, one, you gain some more information about this particular topic that you didn't already have. And two, you gain a little bit more understanding and respect for the position that you don't agree with. 
And so with that, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you do want to support us, there's various ways you can do that. You can go to www.relinquishpodcast.com. You can support us financially. There's a link there. Or you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or YouTube. Until then, we hope to see you next time as we respectfully agree to disagree.